I want to welcome our viewing audience to the Word Ministry of Providence Worshiping Arts Center, uh, Highway 341 North in Jessup, Georgia. We're glad you tuned in. We meet every Wednesday night at 7 and every Friday night at 7, Sunday afternoon workshops, usually at 3. However, this week it's going to be at 2. We're going to have Sunday afternoon workshop at 2 if we can make it at 2. Because I've got something I need to do late on Sunday afternoon. I've got an appointment to keep, and I don't want to be late for that. We're doing You May All Prophesy. Now, uh, that is a tremendous course, and we have books in the, um, in the bookstore that you can get tonight. They're $7 a piece. You can read what we've been going over, and we actually teach people how to hear the way God speaks to them, and then how to interpret that. And then how to apply it not only in their life but in the lives of those around them. Because um, God speaks to people and he wants you built up and he wants you encouraged and it's a good thing. So if you want to learn how you may prophesy, for this is open to the whole body, then uh, drop in Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock and uh, we'll let you become a part of what we're doing for the next four or five weeks. So you you, 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 you haven't missed anything. You can still catch up and participate. Even if you've taken it already and you want to drop in and just kind of get a refresher course, we'd be glad to have you drop in, and that would be great. Okay? I turn to John chapter 1. John 1. Now, last week I told you that... um, that was, the, that was the time of the biblical feast of Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is, is the day of atonement. And the Lord established biblical feasts and biblical seasons. Uh, and he gave them to the Jewish people to remember and to participate in throughout their generations. And it was not just told to them or given to them as something to do for the sake of having something to do the feasts were given to Israel that the symbolism and the various activities in those feasts would point to Messiah and the feasts were actually designed to be a witness to the Jewish people concerning Messiah and The feasts were always before or should have always been before the eyes of the people in order to bring them to Christ. And that when Jesus would come on the scene, they would begin to make the connections because the Lord would have already prepared their heart through these symbols. Now, it hadn't always worked that way, but that's what their purpose is. And last week was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the solemn assembly and the solemn fast where the high priest would go behind the veil once a year and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and make atonement for the sins of the people, which that was a prefigure of what Jesus did on the cross. And we looked at Hebrews chapter 10 and I preached on what the blood gives us access to. Now, we're in a season now that Yom Kippur signals a 10-day period that's called the High Holy Days. Now, I just need to say something. If you think that I'm trying to make a Jew out of you, I'm not. And if you think I'm trying to turn this into a a Jewish congregation, I'm not. That's not my purpose here. My purpose is to teach and to remember because the Lord said it was important. 
Okay, he said it was important, and that's why we're doing this. What one of the mistakes that the contemporary church has made is that the church has forgotten where she came from. The church was born definitely Jewish. Now, in our Western mentality and over the programs and the centuries which have transpired since uh, Jesus made his sacrifice and the Holy Spirit came on the days of Pentecost, since that time, our westernized way of thinking and doing things has caused us to forget where we came from and the importance and the significance of that. Now, we don't want to do that here. We want to remember that Jesus was a Jew. If you look at most of our pictures of Jesus, depending on what culture you're in, he looks different. And I'm not making fun of anybody except me. Okay? In most white churches, you'll find pictures of a white Jesus. In black churches, you'll find pictures of a black Jesus. In Asian churches, you'll find, you'll find Jesuses that look like they come from Asia. Okay? And so we identify with Jesus in different ways, but, but Jesus was a Jew. And he wasn't a pretty Jew. The Word says he was not handsome. He wasn't anything to look at. He was someone who would blend into a crowd. And I think that's part of what Tabernacles is. I think that's part of what Sukkot is. And I'm sure that you're still sitting there, some of you are thinking, well, Tabernacles and Sukkot, what is all this? Well, Tabernacles and Sukkot comes at the end of the High Holy Days. And we're in Sukkot now. And if you think Sukkot is just a Jewish feast and the only people who do it are Jewish, I invite you to come up the road about five miles to a little town called Odom. And I invite you to take a left at the general store and go out toward Happy Acres Campground. And when you get to Happy Acres Campground, slow down and take a look left. You will see the most humongous tent you've ever seen in your life. Huge things, as big as this room. And around it, you're going to find itty-bitty, teeny-tiny little tents. They have been out there all week. There's people from this community and other communities converged on Happy Acres Campground. And they're having a one-week-long Sukkot Festival. I told Janie when we went past it last week, I said, I said you know what? I said, if I had time and I was going to be in Odom this week, I would be at the campground. Because they got something good going on down there, you can bet. And so anyway, as I read our passage and as we talk about tabernacles or the Feast of Tabernacles, I want you to know something, that it's not this faraway thing, and it's not this Jewish thing. This is a thing that God said do. And when he said do it, he never retracted that statement. Okay? I'm not trying to make a Jew out of you, but what I want to show you tonight is some of the symbolism involved in the Feast of Tabernacles that comes to bear on your life where you are right now, here tonight. Okay, John chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 1. I, verse, uh, one. I actually want to go down at least through verse 14, but I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're just going to kind of work our way down there, okay? It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Tonight in worship, 
Talking about the Word, okay? That kept coming through loud and clear. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. Who is that? That's Jesus. Jesus was the Word of God made manifest. Jesus is the mouthpiece. Jesus is the spoken Word. Uh, this is the written Word. It's the living, he's the living Word. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, which means Jesus was with God. In the beginning, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. You ever thought about what that means, all things were made through Him? I never really given a lot of thought until today. But all things were made through the Word. If you go back to the Word record in Genesis, you'll see where God spoke everything into existence. With the exception of one thing. He didn't speak man into existence. What he did with man was he took up divine dirt (laughs) that he made and he made man. He spoke everything else into existence except Adam and he made Adam from the dust and the woman Eve he took from the side of Adam. He He took a rib and made woman from the rib. But the world was made through him and And kind of what I came to today, and what I want to express to you is this, is that when God made everything else, he made it through the existence and the person and the mission of Christ. In other words, he fashioned everything that was made around through and who Jesus is. It was not just sort of a off-the-cuff, spontaneous thing God did in creating the world. He had given eternal thought to it, and the way he created it in its perfection was he made it through Jesus. He didn't go around him. He didn't go above him or below him. He actually made the creation through Jesus. And you either got that or you didn't. Let's go on. (laughs) And without him, nothing was made that was made. Oh, huh. When I was a little boy, and the Holy Spirit was beginning to teach me and illuminate me, I remember I spent a lot of time in the woods. Not the forest, the woods. We have woods in Georgia. We don't have forests. We have woods I'd go down to the woods. I love to go to the woods on Sunday afternoon. I would eat lunch. I'd get out of the house. I'd go to the woods. And I'd walk the woods. And I remember when the Lord was beginning to speak through me, and I'd, I'd see the pine trees. I'd just, I'd look at the pine trees. I'm, this is the truth. I'd look at the pine trees, and I'd say, Jesus made this pine tree. And I'd look at the broom sedge, and I'd say, Jesus made this broom sedge. I'd see a squirrel or a rabbit or a bird and I'd say, Jesus made this squirrel, this rabbit or this bird. And I'd look at the ground and I'd say, Jesus made this ground. And the reason I'm telling you that is because we tend as adults to forget the childlike wonder of how God has fashioned all this. 
we kind of take it for granted. We get caught up in our day-to-day life and our routine, and we forget the wonder of how God made his creation. And worse than that, as we go about our daily business chores and our effort at making a living and being alive, we actually lose contact with the beauty and the glory of what God has done through Jesus to make everything that is made. And we ignore it and we overlook it and it just kind of becomes an afterthought. I remember looking at the church house one Sunday and I said, Jesus made this. And I guess the enemy was tired of me talking about what Jesus had done and sort of giving him glory in my little eight or nine year old man. And he, I heard him whisper and I can just as clear today, he said, no, he didn't. Men with hammers built this church. And I remember rearing up to the enemy and saying, no, Jesus made this place. And he also made the hammers, he made the nails, and he made the men. That's what he did. And he made everything that we see. And everything that he made was made good. And we forget that. And we tend to look at the world in our adult way and we lose the beauty and the glory of what God intended. And as we pray, you may think, what does this have to do with the subject? It's got everything to do with the subject. Because let's just go a little further, okay? In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In other words, just plainly, simply put, the world Jesus came into, the world he made, when he came into it as a man, the world didn't comprehend, didn't recognize him, didn't comprehend him, nor the creation. And the darkness could not comprehend the evil, and the darkness could not comprehend or understand the light. Verse 6. Now there was a man sent from God. His name was John. This man came for a witness. To bear witness of the light. That all through him might believe. He was not that light. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in. Now it's talking about Jesus again. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. There it is again. The world was made through him. In other words. It was made suitable for his mission and his task, and it was made complementary to his purpose and person. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Have you ever... Yeah, probably. Have you ever went to your own, and your own didn't receive you? What that means is this. Have you ever been to your own family? And, uh, and they didn't even receive you. Just closed you out. Maybe to a degree disowned you. Spoke cruel and unkind words to you. Or ignored you at the very least. Made you feel like you were abandoned. Were not apart. Hurt your feelings. Made you cry. Made you cuss. Yeah. Some of y'all been there. I can tell by the chuckles. 
Your own didn't even receive you. The people that you love and the people in your group didn't return your love. That's the way Jesus was. Not just in one case, but in every case. At one point, at one point in John, I believe it was chapter 7, it talks about during the Feast of Tabernacles. Actually, it says this, that Jesus was visited by his mother and his brothers and his sisters. His whole family came there and encouraged him to go on to Jerusalem for the feast. Yes, go. Hurry up and go there. You know why they said that? If you read the history and the context behind that, they knew that in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the self-righteous people wanted to kill Jesus and the trap was being laid and set and they wanted him to hurry up and get there so they could kill him. Read the context and the history of it. I challenge you. It's one of the most fascinating things you'll ever do. And his mother and his, his family said, Go ahead and go. Do what you have to do. So see, at one point, everyone that he ever loved, even his family turned against him. But yet and still, in the halls of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit fashioned a world for him and through him. And they set it in motion so he could step into it. A thing that was made specifically for him to save men even though men would turn against him. When Jesus came on the earth, he was full of nothing but love and compassion and tenderness toward people. He helped everyone he could. He healed the sick, brought sight to the blind, healed the deaf ears, caused the lame to walk, he raised the dead, he manufactured food from nowhere and fed thousands. He walked on the water. He actually changed his metabolic physical structure and he would, he would sort of go into another dimension and talk with Moses and Elijah. But yet, when he came to his own, his own wouldn't receive him. And still... He made everything that is made. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. But to those who believe, to them he gave the right to become children of God. When the Holy Spirit started dealing with you and awakened you and He gave you the new birth and He caused faith to dawn in your soul, all of a sudden you were giving the right to become the children of God and the family of Jesus. And it didn't come from anything that you had ever known, ever did, or ever was. It came strictly 
from the spirit of the living God who changed you from being opposed to Christ and being in the camp of those who rejected him into those who believed him and embraced him and took part in what he would do in the earth. That's who you became. So God made the world through him and for him. And as Christ came into the earth and as he accomplished his whole purpose on the cross and as he was resurrected from the grave, as all that happened and as the word of the gospel began to spread and the Holy Spirit began to work, you were brought from a place of death to life because in him was the life and is the life. And the word became flesh. The expression of God, the voice of God, the wind of God, the word of the Lord became this. Pinch yourself. I dare you, pinch yourself. Ow. 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 Well, that is what Jesus became. The word became flesh. The same existence that was before creation and who was at creation and to whom God made the world through that same existence became this and that. He became this but he never ceased being that. He didn't just become human. He became flesh and blood. But he never lost his identity as to who he was. And you're sitting there thinking, what does this have to do with anything? It's got everything to do with everything. Because with Christ, it was not just good enough for him to glory over a creation that was made through him and that was subject to him. It was not just good enough for that to happen. And it was not just good enough for him to become flesh. It wasn't this royal treat. But rather it was this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt mean, and the word pitched his tent with us. The word tabernacled with us. When the Lord gave instruction to the Hebrew nation to keep the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days, what they were to do is they were to go make little booths, little lean-tos, little wooden things and put leaves and stuff on them and they were to sleep in that booth outside their home for seven days in order that they might remember the wandering of the nation of Israel for 40 years and the provision of the Lord that came along with it. I had the privilege one time of being, well, I guess it was a privilege, of being in Jerusalem one time during the Feast of Tabernacles. 
we arrived on the day of Yom Kippur, and I never will forget on the day of the Feast of Tabernacles what a sense of joy and celebration there was in the city. And as the evening of that day began to happen, as it got closer and closer and closer to sunset, there were people coming from all over Jerusalem, the, old, the, the, the new city, into the old city, and they, would, they were coming by taxi and every other possible means, and, and every, <laughs> every one of them that got out of the taxi was dressed in their finest garb, and they, the, the guys, when you saw them get out, they had a bottle of wine in one hand and a gift in the other. They were going to a party. And there was this sense of excitement and anticipation about Sukkot. And there were these little tabernacles. I remember um, at, at, at John's house uh, in the old city, he, had, he was on an elevated place and you could see all around. And during that whole week, you could look out and see on the roofs of people's houses and in the backyards. They'd build these little lean-tos and they'd sleep in them or under them. <clears throat> and it doesn't rain over there during this season. So you don't have to worry about getting rained on. And so they sleep outside their house. And the overwhelming majority of them missed the whole point. God didn't give them the Feast of Tabernacles just to have a party. Or to camp out. God gave them the Feast of Tabernacles to remember that the Word that was made flesh came and tabernacled with us. He sent the symbolism that we might be able to connect with the mission and the purpose of the Lord who lives and who saved us. That we could Rejoice in God's eternal purposes and His plans concerning us and them. But the overwhelming majority down through the ages has missed the point. But what I want you to know tonight, think about this for just a second. The Word tabernacled with us. Now, the tent is used today. And the Word said, dwelt means He pitched his tent. Think about this. Have any of y'all ever pitched a tent before? Is it just me or is that thing hard to do? <laughs> the best daddy in the world. Given a long enough time period trying to put up a tent for his little boy in the backyard the best daddy in the world is going to lose his patience at some point. If they've ever tried to put up the kind of tents I've tried to put up. Seems like you've got to have eight hands. And be just split into three or four different people to make this whole thing work. It is hard to pitch a tent. Think about that in terms of what Jesus done. It was hard to a degree for him to do what he did. Now we could cop out, we say, oh, he was God, it was just easy for him. No, it was hard for him to do. It was not easy, it was tough. What he did is he would, he put his tent up and he would drive down his stakes. And I want you to think about, this is where I wanted to come to in the message. Now, Jesus drove down his stakes and he pitched his tent to be like you. 
He wanted to feel the pain that you feel. He wanted to experience the full load of frustration that harbors in your spirit. He wanted to encounter what you felt like when you failed. You notice how I said that. Why? Because he couldn't fail. But yet, he became a part of your failure in order that you can succeed. He came down here to taste of what it was like when you hurt. Now as a little tiny boy on the farm, I got a lot of good teaching in Sunday school. I went to church probably way more frequently than a little boy wanted to go. But I got a lot out of it that's still with me today. And I can remember one time I skint my knee at the house I cried a little bit and I guess it was just the Holy Spirit. I don't know who, I, I don't know any other way to explain it. But I remember sitting there holding my knee and my little blood was running. Everybody's skint their knee. My goodness, you know, that's, that's a, the experience that's common to mankind. But I remember sitting there thinking out beside the edge of the road. It was on old Clay Knoll, Clay, Clay Hill. I remember sitting there thinking, I wonder if Jesus skint his knee. I wonder if it bled. I wonder if he cried. The answer to all three of those questions is yes. He skinned his knee. And he bled. And he cried. And see, he wanted to come here to experience that for me. He wanted to come here and experience what it was like when I felt rejected from everybody who loved me. When I was depressed. He wanted to come here and he wanted to take that and experience it and get victory over it for me. He wanted to come here and know what it felt like to not have a shekel in his pocket and depend on someone else to meet his daily need and to pay his taxes for him. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? I'm still looking for the fish to pay my taxes. But he did that. He told Peter, he said, go and catch a fish, open his mouth, take the gold coin out and pay your taxes and mine. Jesus wanted to do that. Jesus wanted to come and learn how to be the son of a carpenter so he could hit his thumb with the hammer and know how bad that was. He wanted to come and wear on his undergarments a tallit with the tassels that reminded him of the law and command of the Torah all over 1600, all over 600 of them. He wanted to come and experience that so that he could be the righteous fulfillment of that law as it covered him. He could do it in totality so you wouldn't have to. He wanted to come here and be nailed on a cross and give his life for you so he could die in your place. He wanted to come here, die in your place, be buried so he could be resurrected by the power of the living God in three days because you couldn't do that. He wanted to come here after that 
and instruct his disciples in the way of the Lord and breathe on them and give them power because they were helpless. He wanted to teach them for a few days and then be received up into heaven to his father where he could stay there until it was time for him to come back and get you. So you could go be with him because you couldn't do that on your own. See, that would have been impossible had he not come and tabernacled and driven down a few tent stakes for you. He came here to embrace your poverty so you could be rich. He came here to feel your sickness so you could be healed. He came here to bear your infirmity so you could be free of it. That's what tabernacles is. It's the constant reminder, the yearly reminder of us what Jesus has done in his humanity by being the word also in his humanity what he has done and accomplished so we could live with him and have him in us every second of every day, breathing every breath, walking every step. That's what he wanted to do. And he not once turned away from your experience because it was too much for him to bear. Dear Lord, have mercy. Mine would have been enough. I mean, I'm looking at it from my end of it. My stuff and my wagon load would have been enough for him. But he bore yours and 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 yours. And there's room, here's the good news, there's room for more. He can handle more. There's no way that the combined weight of all of the infirmity of humanity and all their sin can ever outweigh the grace that he has dispensed on this creation. He has more, more, more than enough. He didn't just squeak by. He didn't have just enough grace to cover all of those sins and if somebody would have sinned one more time, it wouldn't have made it. No, 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 no. He's got it covered. So where does that bring us? What's all this about? Well, here's what it's about. The next time you get the poor little old me syndrome, you remember that the Lord of glory drove down some stakes for you because you couldn't. And on your worst day, in your worst week, in your worst month, in your worst year, in your worst decade of your life, it is nothing compared to what being him one second would have been like. He can handle it. The word says that there No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. And Christ bore it all. People, you've got something more than a Savior. You've got something more 
than a healer. You've got something more than a companion. You've got something more than a provider. You've got something more than you can ever possibly hope to imagine or even comprehend in this lifetime. I don't even know that we'll be able to comprehend it when we get to glory. I don't think, I just don't think we can. My little mind don't work that way. Whatever it is that you come against, because he pitched the tent, it's all rolled off. All rolled off. Whatever debt you've incurred, he's paid. And can pay and is paying. You cannot so screw up your life that he can't make it all right. There's nothing you can do that is so unredeemable that he can't restore it. There's no sin you can commit that he can't forgive. There's no thought that you have that's going to surprise him or shock him. He's done boring. He knew what that was before he drew his last breath. When sickness knocks on your door, he's got an answer. When ridicule comes your way, he's got a smile for it. When pain and heartache both comes with a double barrel shotgun, it's nothing for him. Because no weapon formed against you will prosper. When the enemy tells you you have to be perfect, it's a lie. Because the truth says there is only one perfect. And he's making you perfect. You ever thought about that? He's making me perfect. Um, Got a few wrinkles. I'm a little overweight. Got a few aches and pains. Hair's going gray. La da 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 da. I could just make a real long list, but guess what? He's making me perfect. I'm getting closer to perfection every single day. And he likes me. He kind of likes me like I am. Don't we sing that song for you? <laughs> he kind of likes me like I am. And I've got one of the tricks I've got, I've got to learn to like me like I am. Y'all know the song, don't you? <clears throat> you know, I've sang it before. You want me to sing it again? He loves me like I am. 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 That's real complicated, isn't it? Y'all want to sing? Let's all have a sing along. Let's do that, okay? It's real simple. He loves me like I am. Six words. Let's do it again. He loves me like I am. 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 Now, if you think that was bad, Rick Pino can do it for 45 minutes. He loves you like you are. Isn't that great? 
People who are filled with self-condemnation need to sing that song four times a day. If you start feeling the self-condemnation come upon you, if the enemy is feeding you a line of bull about who you ain't, you, and you're just feeling condemned with it and guilty, a load of self-guilt's on you, let's start singing that song. I hope it bugs you. I hope you can't go to sleep with that. He loves me like I am. 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 And you know they say the last song you hear of the day when you get to go to bed, he just keeps running. <laughs> so, so I'm going to bless you with a song. You want me to sing it again so you don't forget it? <laughs> Becky said she won't forget it. Now, Becky's sitting over here. I've been watching her. Becky's sitting over here, and she knows when she lays down, she's going to hear that song. <laughs> but it's a good song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I want y'all to know he came here because he loves you. He drove down those stakes because he loves you. And there is nothing in this world that can ever transpire that will change that. He tabernacled with you. And the glorious thing is he's really never left. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, I want to see you before you leave. Okay? Y'all take that with you this week and see if it won't change your life. And you share that with somebody and I guarantee you somebody's life will be changed. Father, we just love you and we bless you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and that you've never made a mistake and everything you've done is always perfect. And, Lord, we have a hard time figuring all our stuff out while we're here. But, Lord, just let us learn to trust you more and better. In Jesus' name, amen.